Hello and welcome into our second OBGYN Speak live interactive broadcast. Sorry that we're a few minutes late, but we had to, had to, had to have a group prayer before we started this. That was so important. And I'm just so grateful for each and every one of these doctors on here tonight and the, the greater overall mission that the Lord has put them on. So uh, that prayer was important. And so uh, we needed to delay a little bit, but we will start and dive right in. I am so blessed to welcome in Dr. Poppy Daniels. She is, you can catch her at drpoppydaniels.com and um, she has her own independent uh, holistic OBGYN practice. It's amazing. I also want to give a big welcome to Dr. Christiane Northrup and you can catch her at drchristianenorthrup.com and you can also check out her awesome products at amatalife.com, the products that help you flourish at every age and stage of life. I also want to welcome in Dr. Dan McDyer and also Dr. James Thorpe. Everyone here, wonderful, bringing some amazing insights to the table today. I am your host, Taryn Gregson, the host of the Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson podcast presented by We the Patriots USA. You can catch it on Wednesdays and Fridays. New episodes drop on those days. And I am just so proud to be aligned with We the Patriots USA, a 501c3 nonprofit organization working to fight for medical freedom, religious freedom, religious exemptions, and so much more. You can give back by donating at wethepatriotsusa.org, or you can also give back with this amazing fundraiser we are doing on June 2nd and 3rd at the National Conference for We the Patriots USA in Boise. Our lineup of speakers is amazing. And right now you can use secret 50 as your code to get 50% off tickets at wethepatriotsusa.org. And tonight we have some, some semi-breaking news that has been going around that we'll talk about. Here's the rundown for tonight's live panel discussion. We're going to talk about the RSV vaccine clinical trial on pregnant women that Dr. Uh, Peter McCullough kind of sounded the alarm on this week. And we are so blessed to have Dr. James Thorpe and his wife, Maggie, that put in personally a FOIA request to get documents from the HHS and revealing a grant of over $5 million to the American College of OBGYNs to push the vaccine. We're going to show you those documents. And Dr. Thorpe's going to speak about that. We're also going to talk about the amazing work all of these doctors are doing to investigate not just the spike protein, but the lipid nanoparticles that are being found in reproductive organs. And most importantly, solutions for women moving forward. Um, you can see we're missing nurse Michelle Gershman. She's busy tending to her patients tonight. So shout out to Michelle, who's doing some amazing work uh, in labor and delivery tonight. But, you know, you guys, I want to start off with this news about the RSV vaccine being tested on pregnant women. Dr. Thorpe, you and Peter McCullough have been saying from the beginning of the COVID pandemic that pregnant women should be category X, excluded from any clinical trial, especially the COVID clinical trial. And now here they are doing it again. They're doing another clinical trial on pregnant women. What is, is this just been completely thrown out the window, this category X? It is category X. 
Dr. Peter McCulloch is absolutely right. This is unprecedented. It's never, ever been done before where we roll out a new vaccine in pregnancy, an experimental vaccine, nonetheless. So just to give the viewers an idea, just remember that the, the last vaccine that was approved and pushed in pregnancy um, was a complete disaster. It was a COVID-19. And, and we'll go through that timeline, but um, thanks to my, my beautiful bride uh, and attorney, uh, Maggie Thorpe uh, and, and uh, her Twitter at Maggie underscore Thorpe, who has painstakingly uh, crafted a very specific uh, request from the Department of Health and Human Services and from the CDC Centers of Disease Control and Oh, it's been uh, ongoing um, six months. We finally got 1,400 pages of documents from the Department of Health and Human Services to uh, and the CDC to the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And uh, no surprise in that. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. With, with regard to the vaccine pushing it in pregnancy, uh, again, two years ago, February 28th, I'm going to focus on timelines because um, I, I think that Maggie and I have very clear, um, I, I would call it uh, undeniable proof that basically the CDC and the HHS has captured the American College of OBGYN. And how have they captured them? The same way they capture everybody else, massive amounts of monies. Um, so let's remember that February 28th, 2021, that was over two years ago, the CDC, the DOD, all of our government, and all of the boards knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, like I knew because I had the documents, that the COVID-19 vaccine in pregnancy was the deadliest, or uh, let's forget about in pregnancy, the COVID vaccine in the general population was the deadliest drug, whether you call it a drug, a medical intervention, a vaccine or a medicine, it was the most dangerous medical intervention ever rolled out in the recorded history of medicine. And how do I know that? That's because on February 28th, the Pfizer 5.3.6 document showed us um, it was leaked out from a whistleblower. Um, they tried to hide it for 75 years and a federal judge made them disclose it. So the documents that I had uh, uh, almost uh, over two years ago now were verified by public disclosure on, on a very appropriate day, April Fool's Day, 2022, uh, uh, a Pfizer's April Fool's joke on the world. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Um, we knew that it was the deadliest drug ever. And we got the Department of HHS and the DOD and the CDC to bribe every single sector of the American society with over $13 billion on their fake, fraudulent 
grossly deadly narrative that it is safe, effective, and necessary. When they were liars, they knew it was not safe. It was deadly, the deadliest vaccine ever rolled out with over 100 deaths per week. Actually, 122.3 deaths per week for 10 weeks. It really wasn't 12 weeks. It was the first jab was uh, mid-December 2020, and the 90-day rollout uh, was completed on February 28, 2021. So this was the greatest catastrophic, colossal, clustered FUBAR in the history of medicine. This is never ever has the golden rule of pregnancy been egregiously violated. So the rollout of that was deadly. The $13 billion was blood money. That was a bribe to the entire world to send out a message that they knew was blatantly false. So that's fifth generation uh, uh, psyche, uh, psychological operations move um, on the government's part, not on just the United States of America, it was on the whole world. So we have proof. They knew it was deadly. They pushed it all over the world as safe, effective, and necessary at the same time knowing it was the deadliest drug ever. So uh, yes, of course, I can say the exact same thing for the, the, the new RSV vaccine. Listen, we're on a, a, a roll, roller coaster now. This is unstoppable. We're on a track, a train that common sense and killing and injuries that you've all seen, everybody in America has seen, we've all seen it. And we have data from the CDC themselves. And now they're rolling out another dangerous drug. One more thing and I'll shut up. Okay. We got the RSV now that's being pushed in pregnancy vaccine, which is uh, women right now, everybody don't ever take a vaccine. Don't ever take a vaccine again for your children or yourself because the government of the United States of America are obviously, as are all the boards, trying to kill you. They're irrefutably, undeniably trying to kill you. They had that information over two years ago and well after it, they spent $13 billion. Uh, and who was a founding member of the COVID-19 Coalition Corps of the $13 billion bribe that went to all? Now, they didn't send that all to American College of OBGYN, but they have vast amounts of it. Let me tell you their strategy. And Christiane, all, all the OBs here will know this. This is uh, marketing 101 in healthcare. I've known this for 40 years. Hospitals and agencies always go after women, the mothers. Why is that? It's, it's their marketing campaign and it's a very brilliant strategy. And I was involved with it too. The reason why we went after uh, the women is because the women are the brighter half of the family and they're the ones that pay attention to healthcare and they're the ones that drive the healthcare decisions. My friends that have been vaccine injured, uh, and some of them have been vaccine injured, you know, they were vaccine injured. They didn't want to take the vaccine. Um, their, their wives pushed them into taking the vaccine, many of them. And that's the story of marketing for hospitals. How do you capture uh, obstetrical deliveries with the most lucrative business in the hospital as the, as the NICU? 
And that's why maternal fetal medicine doctors are so sought after. Why? We advertise, the hospitals advertise, we go after the women. The women make all the healthcare decisions. That's why the American College of OBGYN is captured. That's why they spent massive amounts of money. They threatened me of taking away my licenses and my board certifications because of misinformation. I'm telling you the truth. They're the ones that are projecting and spreading misinformation, not just in my community, in the whole nation, in the whole world, and killing massive numbers of my patients. So the last vaccine that was approved before these two ridiculous uh, deadly shots was a COVID vaccine. It was approved in mid-1997 for the specific use in pregnancy in 1997. Wanna ask um, just a rhetorical question. How long do you think that the, the influenza vaccine was in the general population before it was approved for pregnancy? 60 years, not 60 seconds, not 60 minutes, not 60 days, not 60 weeks, 60 years. So what's the difference between that and now in 2020, we have no rollout and it's immediately pushed on pregnant women for the COVID-19 vaccine and now for the RSV vaccine. This is catastrophic. Um, the only thing that will stop this is by destroying these agencies. They want to kill you. They don't have your best interests in heart. We need to finish uh, President John Fitzgerald's Kennedy's promise to the American people uh, from Eisenhower as well to uh, destroy the military medical industrial complex, uh, shatter it into a thousand pieces and throw it to the wind is what Kennedy said um, in the summer of 1963. He was murdered by the CIA six months later and his brother who tried to rectify and tried to finish the job was then murdered thereafter. Uh, they've grown massively in power and wealth because they've been unfettered for the last 60 years. And now they're coming after you and your children. I think that the timeline that you laid out there is so key because it shows the very quick progression um, into testing on on pregnant women. I And I also think it's very key that you touched in there on the emotions that they play on these women and on these mothers. And, um, you know, that's a big push behind this RSV vaccine is that you'll pass on, you know, the antibodies to your child. And so that's why you should get it while you're pregnant. And Nicola had a great... Um, uh, article about it and how they're moving the goalposts and how it wasn't even a successful trial. And, um, you know, also something to note is that typically it, it shows in vaccine inserts like the Tdap and the flu vaccine that they, that they uh, do show pregnant women do um, ask pregnant women to take is section 13.1 on most of these inserts stay state that they haven't been tested for carcinogenic or mutagenic potential, um, but yet they're pushed on these women. And finally, you know, is the RSV virus easily treatable? Well, as Dr. Peter McCullough said, and PubMed, you know, anyone can get 
RSV and it typically goes away on its own in under two weeks. And so Dr. Northrup, I know that, um, you know, you would, you would probably echo those sentiments and to give mothers a, um, you know, just ease them in all of this and that vaccines, especially this one with, with RSV, not at all necessary. They've never been necessary. Yep. And I've been banging on that drum for about 35 yep. years. And one of the things I love about Dr. Thorpe is that he has the, I, I read uh, a quote that I liked and it said, the essence of Satan is the egoic inability to ever say I was wrong or I was duped. Dr. Thorpe says, I used to give the flu shot and the DPT in pregnancy. And then I really read the data and realized, and the same with uh, Pierre Corey, they're, they're all saying, oh, I finally looked at it and I was wrong. And I've been out there banging this drum for decades and, and being called you know, an anti-vaxxer and a conspiracy theorist. I never vaccinated my own daughters. And, um, and I've always known from the autism community, by the way, everybody, Autism used to be one in 10,000, let's say in the uh, 1960s. Now it's one in 32. We are not going to have the resources to take care of these now adults. I know so many people now whose vaccine injured children are now adults with the inability to live on their own. So this whole, one of the good news parts though, is that there has been a 40% drop in people's confidence in the public health agenda. People are stopping the entire vaccination program. Just as you have said, Dr. Thorpe, this needs to go away. There's not a single vaccine that I would recommend. Not one, not one. And if you read Suzanne Humphrey's incredible book, Dissolving Illusions, she was a nephrologist here in Maine in Bangor. And she noticed that when people came in and they got the flu shot, uh, she was doing all this dialysis because of, and she actually read the insert, uh, because of all of the toxins in the flu shot, perfectly healthy people were coming in with broken legs or not so much healthy, but a heart attack, whatever. They had a standing order. Everyone got a flu shot when they came in. And she suddenly doing these uh, dialysis and she read the label and said, wait, we've got to stop this until they're at least healthy. And of course, the head of the hospital did what all doctors do. A tape deck, a CD, an MP3 goes in and it says vaccines are safe and effective. They are the most incredible advance in public health ever known to humanity. They've saved millions of lives. That is a lie. Vitamin D, vitamin A, sunlight, good food, uh, plumbing. That's what saves lives. So I'm uh, thrilled to have these colleagues now on board with me, because let me tell you, I didn't have any for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, I agree. I think that it's wonderful um, that we have so many of you, you know, alongside of us, alongside of me, a, a mama, a broadcaster, coming into uh, seeing all of this and to realizing all of this. And um, I also, appreciate the deep dives that you guys are doing into the research, the inserts. And uh, so next, I want to get to these documents from Health and Human Services 
to the ACOG that Dr. Thorpe, you and Maggie have uncovered. You alluded a little bit to it in your open there talking about the timeline and you've so graciously posted out there to everyone on your Twitter so people can go see these for themselves, look at them, uh, you know, zoom in on them and, and dissect them. You guys have done a great job of making this public to people as it should be. Um, and so I want to start by showing people the money trail that you guys have uncovered from the HHS and the CDC to the ACOG. You can see here, if you're watching us on Rumble, on your screen there, nearly $5.5 million was allocated uh, to the ACOG. And then you've done a wonderful job, Dr. Thorpe, of um, showing the breakdown of it. And you can see on your screen, um, if you're watching, engaging women's healthcare providers for effective COVID-19 vaccine conversations, $3 million allocated to those quote unquote, affected COVID-19 vaccine conversations with pregnant women, improving OBGYN's abilities to support COVID-19 vaccination, mental health and social support, $300,000 for that. And what's even more key is if you then scroll down on that document, the stipulations for receiving that grant money that these OBGYNs have to one, comply with uh, existing and or future directives and guidance from the secretary regarding control of the spread of COVID-19 in consultation and coordination with HHS provide and commensurate with the condition of the individual COVID-19 patient care, regardless of the individual's home or jurisdiction and or appropriate public health measures. And three, to assist the United States government in the implement implementation and enforcement of federal orders related to quarantine and isolation, um, a.k.a. I don't know how you all interpret those, but basically you have to follow in lockstep with um, everything that we are telling you through our guidelines in order to get this grant grant money um, or like Dr. Thorpe, you like to say uh, blood money, which I think um, so many people here on this panel uh, are shaking their head. Dr. Poppy is, Dr. Dan McDyre, uh, Dr. Thorpe, what were your initial reactions when you and Maggie saw got these FOIA documents and read uh, that shocking information? Well, um, Ma Maggie and I have known this. Uh, we expected to find that. So, you know, we published a paper probably uh, almost 18 months ago uh, delineating all of these allegations um, uh, very carefully. And, and we published that and we sent it to uh, a Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, American College of OBGYN and American Board of OBGYN. We, we slammed them in that peer reviewed medical journal publication. I send it to the executive director. I do want to make it real clear because I don't want to, you're crediting me with all the hard work that my beautiful bride Maggie did. Um, so I have nothing to do with the FOIA request, except I was begging her to do it and, and she graciously did it. So all the credit to my beautiful bride Maggie for that. And you did an amazing job with those slides. Uh, uh, I, I'm sure she'll be really thrilled with your presentation. We the pray to you. Thank you, Taryn. Absolutely. And, and thank you. You know, uh, Dr. McDyer, as a practicing and board certified OBGYN, you know, did you did you see 
firsthand some of these directives and these guidelines um, that were being handed down from from the ACOG? Well, I didn't see the actual documents you just uh, brilliantly displayed in such a legible fashion, which is very impactful uh, until Dr. Thorpe and his wife, Maggie, released those about a week ago, I think it was Friday. Um, and uh, I knew there was something going on, obviously, because we knew about the $13 billion that they uh, released through the COVID community cores. Um, I didn't know how much ACOG got. My, my question reading through that, I didn't see too well on my phone on Friday <laughs> that uh, there was $3 million allocated to communications. I could tell you, or ask this question, where did that money go? They did not need $3 million to make communications. All I received throughout the pandemic, I think I may have gotten one or two packets from the American College of OBGYNs about how to communicate and eliminate vaccine hesitancy, basically. And, and there were several emails that were sent out. I don't know what kind of email server they're using, but the ones that I've seen aren't costing $3 million over a period of a year and a half to use. So this was obviously um, uh, a bribe in, in my mind. It's, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely a travesty. And, you know, once they've taken that money, they've locked themselves in because if they ever, this is, this is why, back up for a second, um, this is why when I offered an invitation to executives with the American College of OBGYN to have a public discussion with Dr. Peter McCullough, they refused. And I, 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 I didn't know there was this aspect to that refusal. I thought they were just afraid because they had no data. There's no data to support their position whatsoever, period, the end, it doesn't exist. There is no way that they can tell human, any human being that these vaccines are safe in pregnancy. They won't know that for 20 years. Ever heard of thalidomide? Um, or have you ever heard of DES? So anyway, um, for them to ever come forth and have a public discussion where they would be confronted with the true data and have to acknowledge that, they'd owe the government back the money because they would have violated the terms of their agreement. They accepted $5.5 million to be a mouthpiece for the federal government. I am absolutely disgusted. These people have no business telling doctors how to practice medicine, and they've just become a funnel, a, 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 an arm off the octopus is all there. I have no faith in this organization whatsoever any longer. Um, it, it, it just, the whole, the whole pandemic, has literally blown my faith. Um, the thing I have faith in, the people on this call, this, my two eyes and my two ears, I listen and I observe my patients. And I can tell you, I have never seen such catastrophic outcomes from a medical intervention in my entire life. And I'm shocked that anyone would ever recommend an experimental medication to a pregnant woman via COVID injections or now with a completely unnecessary RSV vaccine. Jim, Dr. Northrup, Dr. Daniels, my question to you is have you ever had a hospitalized patient who was pregnant with RSV? I know the answer, right? It's a, it's a rhetorical no. question. The answer is no. no, it's no. What are they doing? And. I don't even, where's the proof that these antibodies are going to persist and provide any protection for a newborn? That's the, that's the susceptible group. And Taryn, the numbers you shared there, 300 neonatal deaths or, or, or early 
early, I don't know what they call it, in the first year of life uh, deaths in, in newborn babies. That, every death is horrible, mm -hmm. but to subject an entire population of two or three million women to a vaccine to save 300 babies' lives, maybe? They don't even know if that's going to work? Are you kidding me? Where, infant where deaths. has, that's, that's right. infant deaths, infant deaths, where has the critical thinking gone? I, I mean, it's vanished. It's vanished amongst my colleagues. Um, I'm almost to the point, I mean, I'm not being arrogant. I'm almost to the point of being embarrassed to be a doctor. I don't want to be, I don't want to be one of them. I've, I've been called in, in more words than this by one of my favorite colleagues. He did my colonoscopy. He essentially called me a charlatan in the vestibule to the elevator shaft. It, I would, I was shocked. I was shocked. I've tried to drip information to him. The, the blinders are on so, so thickly. There's not even a beam of light or ray of light capable of entering some of these people. Um, my eyes have been opened so widely through this pandemic. Even beforehand, I, I don't do the Gardasil vaccine. Right. I stopped giving the Tdap vaccine years ago. I just, it, it, it made no sense to me to, we, we all know that inflammation is uh, the biggest enemy of a healthy pregnancy and all these vaccines create enormous systemic inflammation. So there's nothing good that can come of them. So I'll stop with that. I gave you a very long winded answer to your quick little question there, but it's just the whole, the, the whole, the entire catastrophe is, is on such enormous scale. And there are so many, organizations that we should have blind faith in that have been enveloped with this. I mean, they, were, they, they weren't enveloped by it. They actively participated. They, they begged for the money. I mean, come on. I mean, what is, what is happening here? I just, uh, I don't understand. I mean, we can't understand because we get, can't get into other people's minds. But when you put all this circumstantial evidence together and when you understand the fact that the people who are telling you to take this poison they have the data that we're sharing with you and that we've shared on other programs. They don't not know this. So I'll leave you up to the, I'll leave you with that. And you can come to your own conclusions, what they're trying to do. It, it, it's, it's, it's pretty sad. It's scary. Hey, Dan, I, one, one point I was going to make in turn, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, absolutely not. Go for it. So I was just going to say that, that it's, um, we suspect much more than $6 million. Listen, 50, First of all, as Maggie pointed out, what on God's green earth is there 1,400 pages of communications of documents between those? Right. And why did they redact 50% of it? As Maggie suggested, you know, it, it stinks. It has a very strong odor of the, the, the verbiage is very consistent with a bribe. Um, and, and also, it's important to recognize they probably got a lot more money than $6 million in the rest of that 50% that's redacted. Well, they locked themselves into a conversation, a, a, a completely, they had the guardrails put on them. No, no person, no critical thinker would ever do that to themselves who has any significant intellectual or moral integrity. You would never let somebody tell you, you can't tell anybody anything except what we tell you to tell them. And here's the money to guarantee you're going to do that. That that is not science. That is tyranny. That's tyranny, and they're active participants. Like like Dr. Thorpe said, I am completely supportive of the fact that every one of these organized medicine groups needs to be completely dismantled mm -hmm. and resituated with people who 
have no financial relationship to a pharmaceutical company, a vac vaccine manufacturer, to the government, nothing at all, period. It's for patient care. And really, truthfully, I was, a, I was an officer for ACOG for three years, and it, it, my term ended just in the middle of the pandemic. Um, nice people, um, really going off on the wrong ideology and activists, and what they had forgotten is that they were formed to serve me, Dr. Thorpe, Dr. Northrop, and Dr. Daniels. They are supposed to be our advocates of, as physicians to provide services for us because we're the dues-paying members and to make sure that we get proper education. That's another nice service they used to provide. Now it's indoctrination. Yep. Um, and the last meeting I had with ACOG in person, we spent the good part of the day, probably six hours, on what ACOG could do to reconnect to the membership because they were losing, losing support. Um, and they realized they had lost their mission. Now they'll never admit that publicly, but they have. They're they're just they're like, <laughs> you know what they're doing? Reproductive health care advocates, right? Women's reproductive health care advocates. You know, mifepristone and all that stuff. So anyway, I'm off on a tangent, but they they are they have lost their mission, as has the AMA, the every every one of those organized uh, medicine organizations. They 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 are not serving their members. They're not serving the public properly either. If they think that's part of their mission. I so appreciate you, you know, giving insight into that and and what you experience as a part of uh, a member of that organization. And then now, um, you know, going off on your own. And I I want to go around the horn here and tell people and allow give you guys the floor to, to share what you're seeing, um, you know, in real life, anecdotally, both with your patients and, you know, with patience of those and your colleagues around you. But first, I just want to acknowledge um, our different our different people that are watching. Ashley saying she never has and never will uh, give her uh, her child another vaccine. She has a healthy 18 month old um, because she said she didn't do it. And Michelle says this discussion is just unbelievable. Thank you, Michelle. Um, I want to thank all of our doctors, Dr. Poppy, Dr. Northrop, Dr. McDyer and Dr. Thorpe for, for taking the time and for joining us. Poppy, I'll start with you as we go around the horn because you are uh, an independent uh, OBGYN. You're an independent practice. So um, I want to start with you and your thoughts, A, on what McDyer, Dr. McDyer said, and then um, tell us a little bit anecdotally about what you're seeing post-vaccine. We've had you guys talk about it, but just an update since our last meeting last, last month. Well, just to piggyback off the last discussion. So there was an obituary that was posted in March, March the 22nd, 2023. Dr. Jessica Miller Mullenix, an OBGYN who died 35 years old, died of breast cancer, forced to end her practice. In early 2021, Dr. Mullenix was uh, participating in a podcast called Tracking the Vaccine, and she was citing ACOG's recommendations. And so when you look at sort of the um, way that ACOG was communicating via social media was through uh, Facebook uh, posts, podcasts, Instagram posts, and they were 
you know, basically bringing these young OBGYNs out saying, you know, you really need to do this for your community. You need to do that for your family. We need to all, you know, work together to do this. And I don't know about you, but I know multiple people who developed cancer after getting the COVID vaccine, um, multiple people that are close to me that I know the timeline. I know that they were healthy. I know they took the vaccine and I know within a year they developed cancer. And, um, <clears throat> and one of them was breast cancer. And I'm sure all of you know these anecdotes as well. But I just find it interesting that this OBGYN herself, who was pushing the vaccine in early 2021, so you realize vaccine came out in December 2020. So early 2021, no data, no safety data, no guarantee of any kind of, I mean, it, it hadn't even been nine months of a pregnancy. Okay. So, and here the, the College of OBGYN is saying, you know, everyone needs to go ahead and, and get this who is pregnant. And even in the first trimester, there was no like, you know, don't get, don't wait until the second trimester or wait until the third trimester. It was just no holds barred, mm -hmm. no caution, no cautionary, no precautionary principle, no do no harm, no let's wait and see before we vaccinate pregnant women and let's see what happens, you know, down the road and maybe we'll consider it. None of that. And so now we know that the reason that was is what Dr. Thorpe and his wife have shown us, which is they were paid off to say that. And I mean, it's incredibly corrupt. And I, I can't say I'm surprised by this level of corruption, given the fact that, you know, our entire medical system has been dismantled. Um, it, it's, it's terrible that the, not only the physicians who are in practice, but the patients, many of them have completely lost trust in our medical system. How do we even accept anything that's said now? All the information seems to be tainted by this power and money grab that has gone on around, I mean, it was before COVID, but it was certainly magnified and revealed during COVID. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> it's just mind-blowing how obvious it is that this was a pay to play. Okay. We'll give you the money. You tell us what we tell you to say. I mean, it's like the Twitter files, um, you know, <laughs> censor this person, cancel this person. Don't let this person talk. I mean, this was a collusion of our media, of our government, of our healthcare system and the pharmaceutical industry. That's the way that they were able to orchestrate this thing. And so to, to say that this was not orchestrated as naive, it, it's very clear that it was. And unfortunately, if you are not, you know, Dr. Northrup has been tuned into this for way longer than most of us. And, you know, like she said, beating the drum, when is anybody going to listen to me, you know? Um, and I think that most people just don't want to believe that there could be this much collusion and this much corruption. They don't want to believe that because that really shatters the idea of medicine and health in our country. Who do you trust? Who do you go to? How can you even, I mean, obviously they're not going to stop rolling out vaccines because it was incredibly lucrative for them to do that. And they're still doing it and they will continue to do it. Why? Because they're not going to be stopped by the government because the government's in it with them. 
They're not going to be stopped by lawsuits because they have immunity many, many times. So, I mean, I look at the way this was perpetrated and I look, you know, all the people on this panel have decades of experience in medicine. We are not newbies. We did not just graduate. We didn't, did not just get out of residency. I mean, I've been in practice 20 years. I think Dan's 25. I know you guys have been longer than that. Like, this is experience. We have seen a lot of things. We are not just blowing off steam and trying to make a name for ourselves. I mean, all this does is put a target on your back. Right. You don't, you're not doing this for fun. <laughs> you're doing yes. it for the patients. You're doing it for the people. You're doing it because of truth, you know? And so it, it just really gets me riled up because I feel like, you know, those of us who are willing to say, hold on now, this is wrong. Look at us. We're such a small minority. I mean, I know there are others out there and they may be afraid to speak because they don't want the target on their back. Um, poor Dr. Thorpe, you know, he's in the crosshairs. <laughs> and it's just, but you know, uh, when I was speaking with Dr. Tenpenny, love her. Yeah, oh yeah. She, she is so like, I don't care what they do. I am not afraid of them. I will take them on. I mean, she she gave me confidence. And, yeah. you know, I, I was looking at her. I was like, yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. We need to stand up and speak truth and not be afraid of the giants and the Goliaths that are trying to tear us down for just speaking the truth, for standing up for our patients. We're not getting $6 million. We're getting attacked. So. I appreciate you uh, really giving people an insight to all of this because I do know that you guys all face so much um, pushback and criticism and, you know, Dr. Thorpe and, and others, people going after your license and, and things like that, but you are still standing firm in the truth. And, and I appreciate that. Uh, Dr. McDyer, uh, what have you been seeing lately in your patients that um, has been alarming as of late? You mentioned some of the hemorrhaging that you've that you've seen uh, that's just alarming from from women after giving birth that are perfectly healthy. In our last uh, OBGYN speaks panel, uh, can you give us an update on what you've been seeing? Sure. Yeah. Just uh, to add into something that. Dr. Daniels and Dr. North have been mentioned a few moments ago. This isn't something that's terrifying. It's actually kind of good. I've never had more patients than I have in the past year and a half or maybe year or so start asking me during their prenatal visits, what vaccines should I consider getting for my child after my child is born? I had once in the blue moon, people ask about that in the preceding 27 years of my career, but now it's probably about once a week or more because there there's an awakening occurring. I had to use that term, but there's, there's an alert or an awareness occurring right now that there's something not right. There, there's, things are incongruent. The things they're hearing and seeing from the public health authorities are not what they're witnessing with their own ears and eyes. So that's a good thing. But what I'm seeing in the practice, um, I may have mentioned this last time. I, I, my medical assistant has been working with me for 36 years. Well, in the practice for 36 years with me for about 20. And um, she and I about six months ago, just looked at each other one day and said, what is going on with all this bleeding? It's, I mean, it's unbelievable every day, bleed, 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 bleed. So I went back and pulled the statistics 
and compared the years 2016 through 2020, got an average number of uh, bleeding disorders I had seen during those intervals. And the postmenopausal po patient population was the one that was most affected. In 2021, I saw 193% more postmenopausal bleeding patients than I had seen on average in the preceding five years. And in 2022, it was 156% more, so almost double or almost triple the number I'd seen in the preceding five years, each of those two years. Um, and in, for the premenopausal patients, those who have you know, menstrual bleeding disorders, um, that there was a 25 and a 15% respective increase in 2021 and 2022 versus the preceding five years. So there's something going on. It, it's, it's tipped me off. There's, there's, there's something here. Not all of the patients are vaccinated, but there, there's something else influencing this because it's an enormous number of people. Uh, additionally, I've seen in the past 18 to 20 months, 19 months, four cases of endometrial cancer, which is very typical um, for that time frame. I actually think today I saw a patient with about a 24-week size leiomyosarcoma who's received four injections, um, and she was in tremendous pain. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Um, and then I had one of those quote-unquote turbo cancers about eight months ago, I had a patient I had seen for the first time in November of 2021, just for some perimenopausal bleeding problems, just with there's some erratic bleeding as the hormone levels start to decline. Totally normal exam. She came in nine months later in August of 2022 with some vague abdominal complaints of uh, discomfort, distension, bloating. Um, and when she laid down on the table, she's 46, 47 years old, nice, thin, healthy lady. Um, she laid down on the table and her abdomen was distended. I said to my medical assistant, Trish, did you check a pregnancy test on her? Cause she had, you know, bloating and whatnot. And she said, no, I didn't. Dr. McDyer said, well, go ahead and do that. And while she went out to go do the urine specimen for a urine pregnancy test, I whipped out the ultrasound. This lady had an 18 centimeter, um, let's see, I think it was a clear cell adenocarcinoma of the ovaries, what it ended up being. Um, that was 18 centimeters. It was excised one month later by the GYN oncologist. It was 24 centimeters at that point in time. That's a 25% growth in four weeks. Very atypical. She was triple injected. Um, so I've seen that. And then another thing I've been seeing in labor delivery, not just me, the nurses have made multiple comments to me about the rate of postpartum hemorrhages. Now, those have been going up slowly over the past decade or so, probably due to the obese population uh, increases. But uh, there's been something happening since the release of the vaccine. I mean, I can't say for sure that's what it is. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence to support that statement. But I'm, I'm seeing not only women who truly qualify as a postpartum hemorrhage, meaning they've had heavy bleeding after the delivery of the placenta, um, that, that there are varying definitions for that. It's either 500 cc's or a full liter, 1,000 cc's of blood loss uh, immediately following the delivery of the first few hours or 24 hours, if you want to consider that. Um, as the time frame. Um, so I've seen a lot more of that. And then I've also seen patients that don't technically qualify by that definition where what happens when the, when the baby is delivered and then the placenta is delivered in order for the bleeding to stop from where the placenta detached from the uterus, the uterus contracts really hard to compress all those vessels. So they start to get, you know, platelet plugs seal off and then heal over time. So the uterus has to remain contracted very firmly and there's a, an, an, a notor there's an incredible amount of laxity of the lower part of the uterus. It's not contracting well. Even though they may not be bleeding excessively to the point to qualify for that diagnosis, there's a dif distinct difference that I've seen over the past year to year and a half of almost, 
I mean, I would say it's the majority of patients have a laxity of the lower uterine segment and some are actually qualifying as postpartum hemorrhages. So I've started actually, normally after a patient delivers, we give them some medicine through the IV called Pitocin that encourages the uterus to contract. But I've also, in addition to that, I've, I've been pretty much putting every patient on a dose of something called misoprostol. It's a prostaglandin analog. It's another medicine that makes the uterus contract really effectively. So I've been putting nearly every patient on that for a period of 24 hours postpartum because when people bleed heavily, like that after delivery, sometimes it becomes almost like a cascade of successive events. You just, it's hard to get it to stop. And sometimes it will result in a hysterectomy, which I did have a patient last summer who ended up with a pretty disastrous cesarean hysterectomy after her C-section. I hadn't, I didn't know she actually got vaccinated. I thought that she had listened to me, but she apparently got the vaccine before she came in for her first prenatal visit. So she could go on a cruise to Mexico. The nurses that were involved in that case, I, I, I unfortunately wasn't there when this all transpired. It was covered by somebody else. Um, they made a comment to me when I got back in town that uh, they had never seen a uterus so floppy in their entire careers, un unwilling to contract with anything was delivered. It was just a, an absolute spongy mess. Um, so I've got some of that tissue um, with Dr. Cole being evaluated, the patient consented to have a second opinion. So we can try to start identifying exactly what is underlying or underpinning all these women's health issues with the bleeding. Um, Dr. Thorpe and I are in a study group. It's called My Cycle Story. We've, we've uh, looked at women who are you know, vaccinated and unvaccinated and seeing enormous bleeding problems in those populations. We have a, a paper that's been published about that with something called decidual cast shedding, which has happened in an phenomenal rate compared to the historical rates, which is where the entire cavity of the uterus or something that simulates that is passed all at once through the cervix and vagina. It's a very painful process. It's a very rare process. And in a group of 6,500 women that reported to us, they were having bleeding problems between April and July of 2021. We had 200, I think it was 284 cases of decidual cast shedding Whereas in the preceding 110 years in the medical literature, there are only about 40 or 50 cases that were reported. Now, it's certainly more common than that, but not, not very common, not, not 280 out of 6,500. So from that, um, and with what we're seeing, we have another study group, we're calling it the SPURS study. We're looking at spike protein interactions uh, with the uterus and other areas with the blood and things like that to figure out, try to help figure out or hopefully figure out why we're seeing these menstrual disturbances and postmenopausal bleeding and actually pre-pubertal bleeding in little young girls who've not yet gone through puberty, they're bleeding. Um, so our first study, we're trying to acquire 50 tissue specimens that will be staining for uh, these, these chemicals, the spike protein. We have ways to define patients who are actually infected with the virus at the time so we can discriminate between that and a person who's just been vaccinated. We have staining procedures that we've got a protocol that right. will evaluate those things. We have some great physicians participating in that. A great pathologist, Dr. Cole and Dr. Thorpe is in that group with me. And I'm looking forward to help unraveling why this is happening. The saddest part of this, Taryn, is that there is not a single government entity or academic institution on planet Earth that is looking into this. It's taking people like us that just want to know we have some degree of intellectual curiosity. We want to help our patients, but we don't know what to do. They're not always responding to the proper interventions that you would normally use for these bleeding problems. Um, it's taking us. I mean, I work already 
probably 70 to eight hours, 80 hours a week in my practice. But I, I, I know I've got to try to help find something that's going on here. I don't have the time or money to do it, but I'm going to do it. Now we're trying to raise money for the study so we can pay for all the staining techniques, but we're all doing this as volunteers. We just want to get to the heart of the matter and figure out what's going on here. So, um, Thanks for asking. I'm, I occupied a lot of your time there. <laughs> no, I, I think it's so important that you guys tell these stories and you tell people the studies that you're doing and um, that you all are trying to do this on your own time. Um, you know, uh, if you guys all got this $5.5 million to look into this to find solutions rather than $5.5 million to uh, put together emails and social media posts on pushing the vaccine, we would really make some headway in all of this. And I want yeah, to mislead people. Yeah. You know, Taryn, normally we would submit an application to the National Institutes of Health to fund this. And they would, if there was not this narrative and mm -hmm. whatever the goal, ulterior motive is, They'd fund this instantaneously. I mean, look at the stuff that they got funded for Fauci and all these just disgusting experience, experiments with no no reasonable endpoint of any reasonable value outcome. And, and it just it blows my mind. But we, we would not even submit this to the NH. We'd, we'd probably get censored, you know. Um, so we're trying to get private funding for this. And we've got some sources, it looks like, which is exciting. That is very exciting. And I know people can go to mycyclestory.com to also donate to the cause. Thank and you. Dr. Thorpe, you have uh, gracefully dropped in in our uh, private chat these different studies that um, you all have been doing. So we will link these for people in the the comments of this Rumble video. I want to acknowledge a, a viewer, a midwife, Stacy, on our Rumble chat. She's a midwife in Washington State and says she's seen early pregnancy loss where the baby dies um, quite often now. And so that is just so sad. And um, I also want to acknowledge the people that Dr. Kimberly Biss, who we're missing tonight, she's a wonderful warrior in this group too. I did a podcast with her talking about the same uh, hemorrhaging and, and things like that and how she's contributing to the study so people can listen to that. And one thing she mentioned in there, and so Poppy went ahead and um, made a few slides for us talking about uh, whether or not it's the lipid nanoparticles, the spike protein, a little bit of both, but I think now people are starting to wonder about the lipid nanoparticles. So I want to touch on that briefly. And I know we're running out of time, but I really want to get to our final segment where what can we do now? So let's just talk about the lipid nanoparticles here quickly before we can give women some uh, solutions. And uh, Poppy, do you want to run us through these? Sure. <clears throat> so one of the biggest things that's sort of mystified me about all the abnormal bleeding is that I understand sort of the clotting risk from spike protein, but what was accounting for all of the hormonal changes? Okay, we know that there's additive risk with clotting because we know that there's a baseline elevated clotting risk in pregnancy and postpartum above baseline. And so if you're taking the, um, the vaccine, then you're producing spike protein, which we know to be prothrombotic. Um, and so that is increasing your thromboembolism risk, just taking it in pregnancy. And then that's not even discerning which of your patients might have additional risk factors for clotting, <clears throat> obesity, and so forth. So the clotting risk is one thing, but I think that the concern is the nanoparticles. And so what we really are looking at is this article, this journal article, 
um, that was actually published pre-COVID 2018 called The Potential Adverse Effects of Nanoparticles on the Reproductive System by Wang et al. And this was in the International Journal of Nanomedicine. And this is um, a Chinese paper. So I would have to say the Chinese knew about this. But basically what we found out from a FOIA request from Pfizer, that data, a biodistribution study that was done in Japan showed that the lipid nanoparticles are concentrated in the ovary. So when you look at pregnancy, you understand that the corpus luteum is producing progesterone to sustain the pregnancy in the first trimester. And if you do not have adequate progesterone, you will miscarry. And of course, after the first trimester, the placenta is producing um, progesterone. And so what you have is uh, if you have a disrupted placenta, if you have a negative effect on the placenta, then you don't produce adequate progesterone to sustain the pregnancy. So I'm sure many of you are seeing increases in miscarriage. I'm actually seeing increases in ectopic pregnancy. Um, we're seeing all kinds of things that I would say, gosh, this is a lot more than I'm used to seeing, right? <laughs> you know, I'm a, like today when Dr. McDyer is talking about the endometrial cancer, I did two endometrial biopsies today for women with postmenopausal bleeding. Um, I might have one a month or once every two or three months, but you know, we're seeing an increase in that. The concern is that there's a direct hormonal effect from the nanoparticles. So this makes sense that it would explain all the menstrual irregularities that women were having. And if you look at the studies of this, it's between 40 and 60% of women had menstrual irregularities after the vaccination, increased after the second vaccination, and so, you know, there's been a lot of spin with this, like, oh, this is just like one more day of your period. It's no big deal. No, this is directly affecting our hormones. So it's not just a clotting risk. The clotting risk is bad enough. But what we're seeing is that <clears throat> this effect of the hormone going to affect periods. It's going to affect fertility. It's going to increase miscarriages. It's going to increase preterm labor, preterm birth. It's probably going to affect the ability of the uterus to, to um, have the hormonal changes that come after delivery. So the lipid nanoparticles are what the mRNA is wrapped in to get it into the cell because it's very easily degraded. So it has to be be wrapped in this little fatty envelope to get it to go into the cell and start making spike protein. But the actual envelope itself appears to be directly toxic to our reproductive tissue. So this article, which I hope you'll link, um, Taryn, so people can read this. Absolutely. Was showing the, the concern with this. And now I just want to make a quick statement that they're already trying to use nanoparticles during pregnancy to supposedly improve reproductive outcomes. So they're trying to use it to actually target the placenta to supposedly reduce preterm birth. So we know that these nanoparticles, they're going into the ovaries, they're, they're passing the blood-brain barrier. This paper documents that they will transverse, they will traverse the blood-brain barrier. The placenta in men, it's going into testes and directly affecting the Sertoli and cells. So it has direct sperm effects. So that also is going to affect male fertility and male hormone levels. 
So it will affect testosterone production. So you really have multiple negative effects on the reproductive system that are happening, not just the spike protein. Yeah, another thing too, uh, real briefly, is that the lipid nanoparticles that are in this little fatty droplet are non-endogenous, meaning they, they don't belong in our body. That's nothing that we've been exposed to. And also they've manipulated these um, fatty molecules to contain an electrical charge, which is also not natural for the fat chains, the, the chains of the fatty acids. So these, these things are exquisitely inflammatory, very, very heavy inducers of inflammatory changes. Not just the, the messenger RNA and the spike protein mm -hmm. are involved in that, but also the lipid particles. That's where you see such an when, when they did the studies in the rats, they saw, if I'm not mistaken, they saw just enormous amounts of inflammation in the tissues that were penetrated by the lipid nanoparticles, which was every tissue in the body because it passes through every uh, blood tissue barrier uh, that we know of. We were, we were obviously lied to, um, you know, we were told that the injection stayed in the arm, yeah. uh, lipid nanoparticles. Well, the, there's about, you know, 20 to 80 um, billion nanoparticles, I believe, per shot, depending on which shot you get. And we knew way back in 2012, 2012, that's uh, how many years ago? That's 11 years ago, Schladlich and colleagues published a study, um, I, I believe from Sweden. And what they showed was a massive increase in concentration of the lipid nanoparticles. They knew. And the study that um, Dr. Poppy uh, was referring to and Dr. Dan were referring to with uh, Dr. Byram Bridal did a FOIA request from the Japanese Pfizer biodistribution study, um, 118 fold increase in concentration of the lipid nanoparticles in the ovaries in just 48 hours. And yeah. as uh, Jessica Rose likes to say, the slope on that rise was so rapid, they had to hurry up and kill those animals, sacrifice them, because it probably would have been up to 500 or a thousand fold concentrated in, in, you know, another 48 hours. So it's very, very concerning. I want to make one other point, not too far off topic, but it's not just the American College of uh, OBGYN and the American Board and the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine that's taking bribe money. That's right. It's also physicians. Yep. And Peter McCullough oh, yeah. broke it. And I, I posted that and I did my due diligence and it's absolutely right. Go to my, go to J-A-T-H-O-R-P, uh, M-F-M, Maternal Fetal Medicine, on Twitter, my account, and look at those documents. I posted them for you. Those are documents, and I calculated where a, a modest, uh, you know, based upon my volume, what I would get, it's like $300,000 I would have made as a, a bribe money for pushing the vaccine. And then it's the same um, for the insurance companies are actually bribing the patients of children to push vaccines. And they're bribing the pediatricians. The pediatricians are the most, um, you know, I, I'll say it. I, I hate to say this because I have a lot of pediatrician friends, but they're the most corrupted uh, drug pushers of, of all the specialties in medicine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jim, that's another spot we should look into is when I saw that it was from Kentucky, the blue, the, the mm -hmm. anthem of which is a Blue Cross Blue Shield derivative in Kentucky paying doctors uh, uh, 
um, kind of a variable amount based upon the vaccine penetration into their patient population, where do the insurance companies get that money? Mm -hmm. They're they are directly tied to the government. I didn't know this, guys. Um, I'm the board member of a very large group of OBGYNs here in Florida, and I just found out about four months ago during one of our meetings that you know I always wondered why um, with all these meaningful use things for electronic medical records. Um, why we're being surveilled for these things and the better we do it. The, I was actually paid to <laughs> learn how to use EMR and slow my practice down because it's so inefficient. But anyway, um, the insurance companies pay us to do a better job on meaningful use. They're, they're willing to negotiate with us more for our contracts. Basically when we, when we do a better job on the electronic health records, essentially it's kind of the easiest way to look at it. I was wondering, well, what do they care? I mean, that doesn't necessarily improve patient outcomes or anything. Well, they get money from the federal government. I did not know this. I'm so naive. They get paid when they have a better um, quality standard of doctors that are working under their participating groups. So the, the, I would not be shocked if part of that COVID community core money went to the, in, the commercial insurers in this country. We ought to find out. Because they, I don't know where they dreamt up and came up with 75 bucks per patient that you vaccinate to pay the doctor extra on top of what they're already paying them for the vaccine and the injection and the office service. I think that's a great point. You know, it's always a good idea to follow the money. And um, you guys have started that trail with these FOIAD uh, documents from the HHS and, and ACOG and doing so also through, um, you know, the pediatricians and um and, and such. So I want to head into our final segment here. What can we do now? And uh, Poppy, you put together some slides about that. So we'll get to it in, in, the moment, in a moment. But Dr. Northrop, I want to start with you and um, your advice for what can we do now to help these women and these patients, these mothers, these mothers-to-be women that are in menopause, what have you, how can we help people now? Um, that are experiencing these adverse effects? Well, believe it or not, we've had some really good success with very simple things. One, grounding, walking barefoot on a beach, standing on the ground with bare feet. We know that the earth has a negatively charged electromagnetic field. 20 minutes standing or grabbing onto a tree can decrease cellular infl inflammation by 20% within 20 minutes making sure your vitamin D levels are optimal. Get out in the sun. I'm not talking boiling it in mid midday sun, although with all the chemtrails, who's seeing any sun, at least here in Maine and also Southern California. Um, make sure your vitamin D levels are, are good. Natokinase um, is also something that eats up spike protein. EDTA chelation is really very helpful. Uh, there's a supplement called Cardio Miracle. It increases nitric oxide which is produced by the endothelial lining of every blood vessel in your body. That's very helpful. The simple things, plenty of clean water, um, whole foods, whole organic foods, changing your lifestyle. First of all, we know that the people who suffered the most from COVID are the ones with the comorbidities, diabetes, obesity. I think at this point, 46% of Americans are obese. There's so much that we can do to help ourselves. And those people who have done these things, especially the people who got one shot and they said, uh-oh, I made a mistake. Many times they can get their health back 
if they didn't have one of the death jabs. Now you can find out, you might not want to know, uh, how bad is my batch.com. Uh, if they haven't removed that website, it showed that they sent the worst shots to the red states and the saline and so on to the blue state. So there are many, many things that you can do. The, the frontline critical care group has a bunch of things that they're recommending um, and start somewhere. And it could be as simple as taking a walk every day. There's not much that standard medicine is going to be able to do for you with their drugs and so on. This is lifestyle that's important. Thank you for that. I um, totally agree with that. And I think that so many are, are experiencing that. Dr. Poppy, I want to put up your slide that you made um, regarding this and, and what you're also doing for your patients. Um, tell us the evaluations that you're putting them through. Well, <clears throat> very similar to what Dr. Northrup said, I totally agree about grounding. I'm kind of late to the grounding game, but it's like awesome for <laughs> dealing with inflammation. I love it. And I tell um, my pregnant patients and any patients of mine that have inflammation, I do check a CRP on every patient, high sensitivity CRP on every patient. I check their vitamin D, their B12, their magnesium, their calcium, their ferritin. I do a complete vitamin panel, a complete thyroid panel with um, uh, um, autoimmune antibodies. If someone has a, a poor OB history, I do a full clotting workup. I liberally use aspirin and Lovenox. I use natokinase if they have a history of the vaccine or if they have an elevated D-dimer or other signs of pro-clotting. I use omega-3s. I'm very, very pro-hormone um, support in pregnancy. I follow a NAPRO progesterone support in pregnancy protocol. Um, mm -hmm. And we try to take a functional medicine approach to our fertility and pregnant patients. And we have to do better than the mainstream model. And I'm really interested in providing examples of how uh, OBs can have a much more functional medicine approach to get better outcomes in pregnancy in, in regards to this, this major onslaught on our health, our reproductive health. Thank you, Poppy. And thank you, everyone, for joining. I, you know, am just so grateful to you, Dr. McDyer, Dr. Thorpe, Dr. Northrup and, and Dr. Daniels, every one of you for, for all that you're doing for everyone. I want to also make sure to let people know that you can catch, uh, you can catch Dr. Daniels at drpoppy.com. And I also want to make people aware of the amazing products that you are working so hard to put out there to help other people. Dr. Northrup at amatalife.com. People can go to A M A T A life.com to get those products. And so I so appreciate everything that you guys are doing. And, um, you know, Dr. Thorpe, I'll give you the, the final words as we say goodbye to everyone here. I'll give you the last lines. Well, thank you, Taryn. I, I just am so grateful for you and for the platform and for all of my colleagues um, on the panel here. And I, I we don't want to be hyperbolic here, but it's not hyperbolic to state facts. I would never, ever trust the government and the healthcare system again. If you do, you're taking your life in your own hands. 
the government knew on February 21st, 2021, that this was the COVID-19 vaccines were the deadliest vaccine medicine drug ever rolled out in the history of medicine. They knew that. And then they spent $13 billion of our tax money trying to push the poison and not just kill a lot of people in the United States of America, but all over the world. The government is not your friend. They don't care anything about your health. They care about controlling you. They care about upping your taxes and they care about deep, apparently they wanna kill you because they had the data and that's what they're doing. Don't trust any of the doctors or any of the nurses, any of the hospitals or any of the healthcare system. They're all bribed and they're not out for your best interests. Thank you, Taryn. Oh, my mic was muted there. Thank you to all of you guys for, for joining. And thank you to all of our viewers and everyone that commented and shared what they're seeing. If they're a nurse or a doctor themselves, we appreciate that. And I want to let everyone know that you can catch my show, Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, each Wednesday and Friday. And if you enjoy this content and all the educational content that we are doing at We the Patriots USA, we ask that you prayerfully donate at we the Patriots USA.org so we can continue to do things like this and to help fund litigation, to fight for medical freedom, religious freedom, and so forth. Thank you all for joining us and thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks so much.